consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am your host, Classic, and I'm here with my co-host. Gypsy, and today we have Chris Seffrin, and he is a lifelong entrepreneur, a world traveler, who is currently coming to us from Mexico. Welcome to the show, Chris. Welcome. How you doing, guys? Good to see you. It's a pleasure having you. So you're in Mexico City, lifelong entrepreneur. Where are you from originally, and how did you end up in Mexico City? Well, I'm actually in Guadalajara, but I was in Mexico City for two weeks, so that's an honest mistake, because when I was first emailing you guys, that's where I was at. I actually meant to say Mexico, and I said Mexico City. And I'm reading Mexico City. (laughs) I think you said Mexico, but it doesn't matter. I just said Mexico City. With me, you wouldn't know. because the kind of people like me, you'd be like, you don't say how you do when you're like, where are you at? <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Uh, and that's when I text people on WhatsApp, you know, they'll be like, where are you? Like, because you never know. Yeah. Um, a lot of times where people are. But I grew up in Philadelphia. Okay. And I was there till I was uh, 17. And then I moved to Kansas City, Missouri. And I spent a good uh, 20 years there. Um, and then I did my first life. I was a uh, hospitality guy. I had a bunch of bars, restaurants, and nightclubs. And me and a, and a couple partners, I mean, we built that stuff and ran it. And then I had like a construction company for 15 years. And we were building bars and stuff for other people. So I did all that for like 20 years. And then I started traveling. Um, Because I always was interested in traveling. And then by the time I got through 20 years or something, I I ended up, I'd been to, I don't know, like 25 countries. Wow. Um, And, you know, there's a thing, there's like a moment in time, uh, because there's people that are travelers, and then there's people that like go on a vacation or something, you know, like Mm -hmm. to, like, hey, let's go to Fiji, or let's go to the Bahamas or something, Let's yeah. go to Cancun. Like you go there for a week and you run so hard that by the time you get back, you need a vacation from your vacation. And you're like, man, I don't even know what, why do we even go? It's like, you're dead. You spent all your money, your son burned, whatever, you know, that's one level of, of traveling. But there's this other level that once you go, like, I think it's like somewhere around two to four weeks, maybe 30 days outside of your home country if you just do that and you're a certain kind of person, you just wake up one day going, man, I don't really need to go home. I, I, I don't know. Should I? <laughs> um, because you start realizing that because America is very like uh, America centric, you know, we're all as Americans. We're like, we're number one USA. Our, tra- right. our chant is basically we're number one. Right. Yeah. Like who else has a chant like that? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Because our whole world, our whole lives, we've been told how special we are. And I don't even mean like the kids now. I'm talking about like, you're an American. This is the greatest country that's ever been, right? Yeah. I've actually, no matter, land of the free. (laughs) No, I was going to say, I've had somebody tell me, like, why would I travel? Like, what's the point? This is a great country. I love living here. Like, it's not an excuse to not travel. Yeah. The world is beautiful. So, you know, I understand this is America, but. You still need perspective. Well, say huh? that. Yeah. Well, but people say like I've heard lots of people go, "Dude, why do you why are you go to Mexico? You already live in the best country, or like everything's awesome here. What do you need to go there for?" I'm like, "Listen, dude, there's seven billion people on the earth, and there's 350 million of them here. Somehow, all these other people are living their lives without killing themselves. Somehow, so there must be something we might learn out there." It's a big world, dude. Yes. And so uh, I tell you, you go and you travel and you spend a whole month in somebody else's culture. If you have, if you're, as long as you're not one of those people that's like ignores the culture and just does your own thing there. But if you try to like learn anything about it, which I like to read a book. Like if I'm going to go someplace for a month or two weeks or something, I'll read a book about it. And it doesn't have to be like a guide book. It'll be, 
you know, like a historical book too is mm-hmm. cool. Like, like a fiction book. Yeah. Like I, I would, I spent some time in Columbia and I read, I read a book that by this famous Colombian author. And it was just a book about a hundred years ago about life. Columbia It was a fictional story, but they always weave all this stuff that is in there. You know, the culture, how people do things, the history of why stuff is the way it is. And so to me, you start doing that and then you realize, Hey, you know, like, Hey, there's all these other human beings that are just living. And, you know, sometimes they got some really bad ideas and sometimes they got some really good ideas because, you know, we're not, we haven't got it figured out in everything. I mean, if you need something shipped to your house, buddy, America's got you covered. Okay. Um, You know, we get pretty soon, we got a drone that's going to load it into your, uh, into your house without you even opening the door, you know, in five hours. But And I can say some of that is still rather new. I can still, I can still say some of it is rather new for at least this past 20 years. Cause I still remember cell phones, even just coming from, you know, having a, a certain kind of cell phone and even getting to this point, even leaving or, or when I left Mississippi, I came to um, California for about a, a year and a half in Long Beach. And I remember having to use the map or printing out the, oh, right. with MapQuest. <laughs> did you have the, did you have the one with the book where you're like, Oh wait, look at this here. Uh, uh, Cuca, Rancho Cucamonga. That's page 17 and 18. It's on two pages. <laughs> <laughs> that, right. So, and or when you go into Utah, you got to like flip over the pages here and keep looking to see if number 65 keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, I could see it hasn't been that long that we've had, you know, that quite delivery luxury. Versus other places. And, and I had to, like you said, you mentioned a month to stay somewhere. Um, we had an exchange student, which is very different from the average family in um, Jackson, Mississippi around that time. We had an exchange student from Brazil that came and lived with us for a long time. And I had the chance to go to Brazil when I was 15 and stay for about a month. So Ooh, I was, cool. you know, it was, it was very eye opening to me at that time about traveling. And yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, my mindset is a lot different from a lot of other people in the area because of that, because I was exposed to, you know, traveling outside of, of um, America at a young age and, you know, seeing certain things and understanding that, yes, life is great here <laughs> over in this other place, you know, it's, yeah, I live in America, but Hey, you know, this is, this is a perfect environment over here as well. So you, I can't just say that, you know, I would never visualize you know, living outside of America. No, that came from me at a very early age. I've had college friends that the same thing she said. Hey, man, how you feel about traveling? If you had, you know, this amount of dream money, you know, what would you do? And traveling is not on there. So it's definitely not the picture for everybody, whether it's with money or without money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think people, some people, you know, and I, I tell people, look, it's not for everybody. Look, if you really love your family and friends and you live in some town or are a part of a city or something where you see your family and friends every day, that that is awesome. Like, maybe you shouldn't leave. You know what I mean? Like, how can it get any better than that? You know what I mean? It just depends on your situation. But um, the thing I am always about is like, is just just at least be open to the idea that there's another way that, that human beings can do stuff and not just the one little way that people do it around where you're at. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think the other big thing is learning a language. Uh, like I've been studying Spanish now for like a year and I'm, you know, I'm functional. Like I can go around and get anything done. I need done. But then if it starts getting hairy, uh, I can't pull it off. Like I landed here and I was trying to get an Uber, but they're not allowed to pick you up right in front of the airport. And so I was trying to figure that out. And like the dude's texting me in Spanish. And so I'm trying to, you know, like translate it. And then I'm trying to figure out what he's talking about. And meanwhile, I'm standing in front of an airport, you know, and um, he's like two minutes away. And I'm like, dude, where is it? And then I'm trying to ask the cops where the Uber place is because there's no signs. And of course there's no signs cause it's not legal. And then there are, then finally I had to go through two Uber drivers before I got to a guy that was like called me and was trying to explain to me like, dude, you got to go over on the other side of the parking garage here so that we don't get a ticket. 
that took me a minute. And then I got over there, he was honking his horn and everything. And there was, so like, I'm halfway functional, but I don't think you're really like awesome in a language until you can like have an argument with some guy at the airport <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? You know where you're like really sure of yourself or you can yell at yeah. somebody. <laughs> yeah. Lose your temper at the same time. And, you know, speak. Uh, yeah. I'm not there yet. But the, my point is though, is when you learn another language, the only way you can get good at it is you have to like put yourself in the mind of a Spanish person. Like, like when you were in Brazil, right? Those people are all talking Portuguese, Portuguese and they're like, they teach you a little bit of it, right? But it's like, in order for you to communicate with them, well, like, well, like you've got to know that, that they, like they say in Spanish, you know, tengo, tengo hambre. They, that means I'm hungry because it's, I have hunger. So you got to like know that like, that's how Spanish people think, right? Like, so in order to do that, you have to like sort of, turn off your American person and turn on the Spanish person. And I think that's like the biggest leap of empathy for everybody else on the planet is that if you put, you literally like, you know, are in these people's shoes to try to speak their language. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to think of it. She's East African. So she speaks a couple of languages as well. Yeah. I grew up speaking, um, three languages one was english and i grew up in ethiopia so i spoke amharic but my parents were eritrean and i'm eritrean as well so i spoke tigrinya as well so i kind of grew up kind of speaking three languages at the same time but i've tried to learn other languages a little bit harder when you're older but yeah i'm still trying to gather my um learning amharic and it's it's tough not being just you know engulfed in the whole environment of it and my spanish should be better but you know learning well, in a language you're in la yeah. you're in la dude geez yeah that's what started that's, pissing me off a couple of years ago i go in home depot and all these mexican guys are sitting there talking spanish man and i'm like this is stupid I'm like i'm in america i should be able to talk to these guys yeah yeah and you people know? out here come to you expecting you to know spanish like you know, they might be lost, they might need direction, or they need to ask you a question, they'll just come out and speak to you in Spanish, and then look at you crazy if you don't understand them, because they're like, we're in America, why don't you know Spanish? (laughs) Yeah, but isn't that funny? That's a new thing about America, though, is that we have enough Latin people, mostly Mexicans, though, right? Mostly, because of the proximity of, of Mexico. And I'll tell you, after spending a lot of time in Mexico, like, we are basically like, attached at the hip to this country yeah Uh, you know maybe a lot of americans don't think like that but mexico america we're like we're kind of that dickish older brother to mexico you know what i mean but we're definitely in the same family you know what i mean (laughs) you start going to panama or ecuador or something those are like distant cousins you know because i learned based by the way on my flight here um I was trying to talk to the uh, the flight attendant lady in Spanish because this is what I've been trying to do, right? Is like, you know, you the airline people are all bilingual. And then when you're flying somewhere, they're always like, they're from Mexico. So I started talking to this lady and I said, she's like, where are you from? You know, and I said, Estados Unidos. And she's like, which one? Because <laughs> yeah. Estados Unidos means United States, mm-hmm. right? Which is like we call America but it's the United States of America, but it's really the United States of North America in this one spot. But she's like, which one? And then she showed me her passport. It's it's Mexico is the United States of Mexico. Did you know that? I think when I didn't know that recently we went to, um, to Cancun Cancun and we did the Chichen Itza tour and the guy was explaining that on the, on the bus. I didn't really think about it until then though. Yeah, because it was. I know he mentioned that it's both Americas. Yeah, so explaining a lot of. So I was like, okay, I was like today years old when I realized that because then she's like, look, look at your departure card. It says Estados Unidos, Mexico, Mm -hmm. and I was like, dude, I never saw that ever. (laughs) So you know, anyway. I, I was in Philly, then I was in Kansas City for 20 years and stuff, and I loved hospitality and stuff, and I loved traveling, but I didn't want to be in one place. 
What inspired so when you? Actually to, I lived, oh, I'm sorry. What inspired you to get into the uh, lifestyle um, as far as business? Oh, as far as the hospitality business? Yes. Well, um, I don't know. I was always in entertainment. I played drums in a band. Okay. And then, um, you know, I wanted to be a rock star. My first goal in life is I wanted to be David Lee Roth. Um, and, but I couldn't sing. And then, so I had to play drums. I played bass and drums. And then I was like, well, this is a really hard business to make it in. I said, I know I'm decent, but you got to either be with somebody who's awesome or you're going to have a hard life. So then I was like, man, maybe I should be booking bands or something like that. But what I started doing in college was I was the organizer guy. I organized spring break trips and stuff like that. And I, then I became the, um, you know, the party guy. Like I was working for this dude. He was a DJ. I just seemed like I, I was just the kind of guy that knew how to throw a party and have people have a good time. You know, like I just knew what people wanted and I knew music and art and stuff like that and then you know when you're young and you develop good taste then you can lead people and do stuff and so then i ended up getting out of college and i thought well i should get a job but then i couldn't find one that was even remotely interesting so me and my buddy were like well what are we going to do and they're like well we're just college kids the only thing we were going to open a liquor store and we only we did the smartest thing we've ever done in our lives, which nobody does, and I, I probably haven't done it since. But we had a friend whose uncle owned a liquor store, so we went and talked to him and said, "Hey, what's it like to open a liquor store? Because if you ever want to do anything, the first thing to do is go find some guy who's been doing it for twenty years and ask him." Um, and the guy goes, "Don't do it. The margins suck. It's too hard. You'll never make it." We're like, uh, okay. <laughs> and so that was our first idea. And then we went on, well, what's the next best idea? Well, we should open a bar. <clears throat> so our two brothers were going to FSU and they were in the same fraternity. So we thought, hey, why don't we uh, go to Tallahassee and open a bar? And so we went there to visit our brothers. And this was back in the 90s when like, you know, FSU was number one, like every year with Bobby Bowden and all that stuff, you know. And we found a space a block from Dope Campbell Stadium. We're like, dude, we'll just open a bar right here. and We'll run it. So this is how it kind of got started. But we didn't have enough money. We only had like 10 grand and nobody would give us any money because we were young kids. And so uh, that kind of fizzled. And then I did a few other you know, entrepreneurial type of things until I ended up, I lived in Chicago for a couple of years and we started um, managing a band and we had a music publishing company and my college roommate became, he worked for uh, jam productions, which is a big, um, it's like the second biggest concert promoter in America. And so I was just working, basically doing entertainment stuff and then our then we met this other guy who owned the two hipster clubs in uh, chicago and we said we all were we all were in chicago and we went to the notre dame florida state game the catholics versus convicts game back in the 90s so catholics versus back convicts when, you guys may be too young to know this but <laughs> back in the 90s uh Notre Dame was really good, and uh, Miami, this is when Jimmy Johnson was the coach to Miami. But Miami used to get in trouble because they always had these players that were like, had kind of some shady shady backgrounds, (laughs) okay? And they would always get in trouble, but they would never get kicked out of the uh, school, you know? But then you had Notre Dame with a squeaky clean image, right? Okay. And so uh, they they called it Catholics versus convicts. Like, look <laughs> it up, man. That was that was the that was CBS or whoever. That was their. Um, I mean, people had T-shirts, and this was this was '94, dude. Okay. '93 was '93 because I remember um, we went to the game, and uh, OJ was the sideline reporter. OJ Simpson. Wow. <laughs> and I remember watching them wa- wa- limping back and forth across because he had to go on either side of the field to like interview people and he could barely walk. 
Like he could barely walk and he was only like 40 at that time. Mm. Um, and then six months later I flipped on the TV and he was driving down the four Oh five, you know, <clears throat> but, um, anyway, that out of that weekend, you know, we came up with this idea to open the bar in Kansas city called velvet dog, which, in, which opened in June of 1994, which was my first bar. And so it just started from there. Okay. So, all that entertainment-ish stuff turned into me building a bar and entertaining people at the bar. <laughs> so, Are you still in the in the hospitality business there in Mexico? No, I kind of retired from that because the thing was I did it for 20 years. We had like 15 places. We also did a bunch of outdoor shows. There was a place in Kansas City called the City Market where we did outdoor uh, big outdoor shows like we did The Killers, James Brown, Widespread Panic, John Mayer. We did all these outdoor shows where we would like bring in a big stage and a semi truck. Because this is like a farmer's market, like a hundred year old farmer's market. We block off block off the entrances, put a stage in, put a bunch of um, beer tents and stuff in, and we'd put 10,000 people in there. And we did 57 of those shows for a decade. Um, <clears throat> I guess the thing so, back then, what was the promotion like? Was it all radio back then? Well, yeah, back then, uh, we what we would do is, um, you know, back in the 90s, what you do is you would get with these uh, radio stations and you put together a package where you go, hey, look, we're going to we're gonna do six shows. We put the, all the summer concert series and we take the uh, indie station or the rock station or whoever – you know, it wasn't all completely consolidated then, but a lot of times they'd have a rock station and an alt rock station under the same banner. So we do like four shows with the alt rock people, two shows with the rock thing, um, whatever, you know, BS we could throw together to give it a little sizzle. Because um, like we did a thing for Man Cattle Muller, who the, he's a big uh, morning show DJ in Chicago who's from Kansas City, and he came back to KC and threw like a big metal fest thing mm. with Slipknot and Cold Chamber and a bunch of these like, you know, thrash metal bands. And, you know, we get 10,000 people out there and then promote it on radio. But then actually back then you could put stuff in like the weekly, you know, entertainment paper. Like people okay. would read the paper. Yeah. And you can put an ad in there, you know, and kids would line up to buy their tickets at nine in the morning on Saturday morning. Yeah. So that was what went on then. But because I visualize I, I had how a great technology time. has changed now <clears throat> when you're dealing with promoting, you know, and for now promotion, of course, social media and all of that stuff. And then back then, a lot of, or even now, a lot of people don't listen to radio. So you won't, you probably wouldn't get that big of results even um, promoting through radio. But just as, you know, as a musician and think about that, that was, why I asked that question on to, I guess, get a reminder on what the promotion was like then before social media and technology and cell phones. Then, so Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was so much harder. more word of mouth back then. Well, you know, like in the nineties, before you had a cell phone, like if you wanted to know what was going on, you had to like get off your couch, get in a car and like go somewhere and see like what's going on over there. Yeah. Um, you know, now it's, it's really more, it's also super fast and interconnected, but now the difference is, is that you take a band that was, can, the bands literally go from nowhereville to like selling out an arena in like six months, like either you've never made it and you never will. But if you can get that attention somehow where it, where it has the network effects, you know, where you're on, you blow up for some dumb reason and really you just need like two good songs. Cause even back then, like if you had a hit album, you would still be like a opener for somebody bigger. Even if you had a good album, mm. <laughs> like now you have one good song that gets played and like, you know, like you look at somebody like Billie Eilish or something who basically puts out one song and the song hits. And then, I mean, like a year later, she's like, selling out stadiums and like and then a year later she's like starring in a movie and now she's at the met gala and she's one of the more interesting people there or something like yeah. that's crazy in two years you know um fast. you don't have to build a career now it either happens or it doesn't 
And um, but there is now the thing where you can be completely invisible and live a whole real life as a musician if you can build a little fan base. Like there's there's these bands that will tour around the Midwest, put out an album every like two years. They have like three five thousand fans on their little um, you know um, <clears throat> fan club, and they they pay twenty bucks a year or something. But like you take a little four piece band and you give them three or 400 grand a year, you know, like that's a lot of money. Um, cause they own the publishing cause no one will give them a record contract. Right. I mean, yeah. they have to self publish. They sell a t-shirt, they get all the money, everything, you know, so there you can do that, but it's still like kind of hard, but, yeah, but the world you has know, a you can mindset do it today, I think than back then as well. So, yeah. Even now, there's a lot of people that, like, submit their songs online for, like, placements and things like that. And, you know, nobody knows about them, but they make a lot of money doing music. Yeah, they get a lot of TV stuff house. and um, yeah. placements and stuff like that, yeah. If I was to go back and do entertainment again, <clears throat> like, if I was starting today, I would be a DJ producer. Yeah. Because, um, and I would, like, sell out from day one. I'd be, like because there's guys you never heard of that are making a couple million in a year in LA because they're scoring a project for this thing. They're doing something on that TV channel. They got two points on this deal. You know what I mean? It's a bunch of invisible stuff, but the, the important people know who they are. And a lot of the times their stuff's background to like all the things you think, like they got the background to some like, you know, grand theft auto video game. They're scoring all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, to me, that's where you go unless you're classical is also great, though. You can make a real living as a classical musician. I had a buddy uh, in L.A. who, um, you know, he was he's uh, plays viola and violin. And if you can break in the union, dude, just get over the hump. You know, you can make six or figures or a couple hundred grand a year and live decent. Yeah, it, it kind of depends on, I guess what you're looking for out of music wise. I kind of grew up in the orchestra as well. And I just, I can't see myself, you know, playing certain songs over and over. I'm more of a creator. So I have tried more of the, you know, record your own stuff and submitting type of thing like that. But I know I, it's, it's a, it's kind of tough when you get into the orchestra world and you're kind of, you know, doing the same pieces over and over and over again. And it's sometimes you, you don't really see an outlet on the creative side or, you know, it's so competitive as well dealing with, you know, sometimes with, I guess, orchestra placements and things like that. So it's, it's hard to find, you know, a, a nice wiggle room in, I guess, the creative world. I've done a couple of things from producing, you know, um, I'm, I'm basically a freestyle cellist. So you have a lot of professionals that play in orchestras that, you know, they can play a lot of things, box and stuff like that. But when it comes to creating their own thing, as a blank. So sometimes I, or I know that's one of the challenges when finding a happiness with, okay, it pays well, but how long can I do this before I just burn out and don't want to, you know, do this anymore. Or some of the things that I think come along with the well, orchestra world. Yeah. Or, well, you're right. It's an incestuous world there of like a lot of very, very interesting people you know what i mean like that whole world of people is like they're all to get to a certain level you almost have to be some kind of an autist or yeah you know what it means to get to that level where he would like my friend would just like practice like six straight hours a day you know what i mean like that like that's what you got to do right to stay on point and so <laughs> yeah and it's really more like they're they're into this esoteria of like those pieces and stuff and then you know but you're right. They're not out there like doing really true, truly like what we would call creative stuff. So it would be that. But and, and I think classical, you can't do the do one for them, do one for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you kind of got to live in one world or the other. And so <clears throat> that is different. Yeah. But I would that's if I was doing it today, I would definitely be. Well, I would I would do producing. But then that's the other thing, though, is then you're like some weirdo. You got to like you spend your whole life in a dark room staring at a, at a computer screen. And so then I'm like, okay, well, this is like incredibly unhealthy and weird. Um, you know, in order to get like that, you know, you got to spend like 
40 hours straight trying to figure out some beat like and make this this weird thing happen with the with the sizzle track oh, or something you know what i mean like that's where the genius wheel. is right for me some it's it turned into a hamster wheel for me so i actually had to step away from it um that understanding that yeah or right, make a new track or produce a new track or you know make something new and it, it turned into a hamster wheel so but there's some people that you know they are built for that as well and you know hats off to that as well i can't say it's necessarily something bad but it works for 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 different people that staying in that dark setting for so long and they could probably do it for, for a long long time it's like nah i can't do right that. Yeah. No, we need anti-social people that got, want to be alone in an empty room. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that wouldn't be the answer for me either. See, that's why I like the I like the bar stuff is because it was like you're talking to people, you know, you're sitting and then I'd be reading all the people and what are they doing? How are they responding? It's like you're, you're like a psychologist, you know, like yeah. in hospitality. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Before I cut you, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, after the hospitality um, life you know, career. How did you get into the world traveling? What made you say, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to have my break, my mental time, and then I'm going to start world traveling. What, what sparked that? Yeah, I don't know if it was any one specific thing, but then, you know, I moved to LA. I was living in LA for a year. Okay. And this is back in like 2012, 2013, 2014. And I started, I sold all my stuff in Kansas city and I thought, you know, I live in LA, <clears throat> but you know, and then, but LA was already starting to get ridiculously expensive. And I was sitting there thinking, wow, man, like, you know, if you want to live nice, cause I've been coming to LA for 30 years and it wasn't always like that, you know, like you can get a place in Malibu for like a thousand bucks, you know, like 20 oh. years ago. Wow. But then it was like, okay, you know, then now it's like, I go, I, if I want to be on the West side, it's like, I go look at a decent building. It's like 4,500 bucks for a little one bedroom. I'm like, okay. Like in a newer building, I go, well, well, downtown's blowing up. I go down there. It's like 5,400 for the new building they're building. I'm like, okay. And that's like a 700 square foot, one bedroom. I'm thinking that doesn't seem worth it. So, um, I, I have been a Nevada resident, and so we, me and the girlfriend at the time, we just decided, hey, why don't we just live in Vegas? Because if we're going to spend that kind of money, we can have a penthouse suite. <laughs> um, so we did, and so then we started. We had a couple of online businesses, and I've been doing some stuff online since 2009, 2010. I've been helping some friends do some businesses. We had a personal training me and a guy did a personal training website. This guy that used to work for me, who was a male model and a personal trainer. And he was huge on uh, MySpace. He was like the number one guy in Kansas City on MySpace. So we flipped that over to an email list and started doing online personal training. That worked. So I've been doing a bunch of different digital stuff, trying to become more location independent. I even That's what I've been doing. Then I I was in LA because I had a couple of different supplement companies I was managing. And then, then I started working with these guys that were um, uh, YouTube dudes that had like 4 million on YouTube. Mm. And uh, I was laughing because I, I saw that your guys uh, thing with the, the kid that was working with CT Fletcher. Yeah. Cause um, I don't know. I've never met him, but like I, but when I started working with these supplement companies, I got in, I started going to all these bodybuilding deals and I'd go to the Arnold every year and I went to the Mr. Olympia every year. And then we started going to the gold's gym once a week and uh, you know, in Venice. And I was actually working out at the gold's gym in, uh, in North Hollywood was my gym and rich piano worked out there seven days a week. I saw that guy like three, four times a week. Um, so I was just kind of laughing about that, but eventually there came a time where I was living in Vegas and then the girlfriend had a company that, where we were buying stuff out of mainland China and we were flying to Asia all the time. And then I remember, I don't know if I was in Bangkok or Chiang Mai or something like that. And I was, I went by, you know, I was looking at a, at a, at uh, we were walking around the streets and i saw this little real estate office and they had all these photos of like places that were for sale and places for rent and then they were like i was looking and they had 
had like penthouse apartments in a building with a with a pool on the roof and stuff for like 700 a month and i was like damn i could live here dude <laughs> so we got an airbnb at one of these places and we were and we were getting like just unbelievably ripped off and it was like a two-bedroom place for like 1500 a month and we stayed there for a while and i'll go out every morning there was some lady that drove up in a in a, this in bangkok every Every morning, this lady would pull a cart up out front, and from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., she was serving breakfast and coffee and stuff. And I'd go out there and get a big coffee, big Vietnamese coffee for 75 cents and talk to that lady. Then for lunch, I go. we go down the street, and there were street vendors and these little, like, restaurant places. You get a bowl of soup for a dollar. And, I mean, it's really delicious food, too. Like, it was like, this is great. Yeah. And I'm like, man, you could live like a champ here for like a thousand a month. Um, and so I was thinking, wow, man, like maybe there's another way to do this. Yeah. Have you lived in um, other countries as well besides Mexico? Or is that like the first one you've tried um, more extended stay? Um, the most I've spent in one other country is in Medellin, Colombia. I really like uh, I like that town a lot because it has kind of L.A. style weather. It's called the uh, it's called uh, La Ciudad de Eternal Primavera, which means in Spanish, the city of eternal spring, mm. which I also found out there's a place in Mexico that had that name before them called Cuernavaca from because all the Mexicans told me that. But basically, the all time low in um, in uh Medellin is like 54 and the all-time high is like 90 and like it never gets like that it's like 78 to 80 every day and then during the during the night it's like 58 or 60 and it rains a lot but never like too much you're in the jungle you're at the equator but it's at it's at 7,000 feet elevation so then it becomes like more temperate weather and it's really beautiful and I like the vibe and I like the um, people and, and so I, I really like hanging out there, but there's like a bunch of other places to check out. There's basically three parts of the world that people post stuff in. It's either Southeast Asia, Latin America, or Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. money-wise. I okay. feel like Mexico gets a bad rep. Is it, how has your experience been living in Mexico? Well, the first thing every American asks you is, is it safe there, man? What about the cartels? You know, aren't you like, everybody's watching like Narcos, Mexico. And it's it's like, now I was in Tijuana. Well, I'm like, yeah, dude. I mean, first of all, like a guy was asking me that a couple of weeks ago. And you remember the weekend where we had 11 mass shootings in America, like in the same weekend? Wow. Remember there was like, there was a sniper going around DC shooting I remember that. people and lives. He was live streaming it. Mm. Okay. Then South Carolina had like two different mass shootings going on in the same time. Um, and, you know, if you live in LA, you know, you've been driving on the one one and then boom, they shut it down. You're sitting there in your car, nobody's moving. And the, the cops are flying choppers around and they're chasing people around. Like that happens all the time in LA. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, well, when I was in Tijuana, I saw they had some checkpoints because we were driving up and down the, the highway going. Um, I actually went, um, you know, then hour south of um, Tijuana, there's 200 wineries. So, wineries? Did you know that? No, yeah, it's like a Napa Valley of Mexico. Yeah, I didn't know that. I did not know that until my friend in Tijuana was like, Hey, you want to go do, go to some wineries? I'm like, I'm like, sure. Like where he's like, Oh, there's a whole bunch of them. Like just South here, like 40 minutes. So we drove out there and had a really nice day one day, but up and down that highway, there was a couple of checkpoints where the, where the uh, military was out. And I'm like, what are they doing? He goes, nothing. They're just, they just do that. Sometimes I go, what, just to let the cartel know that they're there. He goes, yeah, kind of. But I didn't really see anything when nothing has ever come into my world. I spent two weeks in Mexico City, and it's like one of the biggest cities in the world. Um, you know, I lived in a nice, I was staying in a nicer neighborhood, but it was like totally normal. 
And then um, I went to Puebla, Mexico, which is a town of about 3 million. It's two hours from Mexico City, totally normal, kind of a touristy place. And then, you know, Guadalajara. I, I haven't seen any crime or any weirdness. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, like, same thing about, you know, about Colombia, because of it, obviously, there's a pretty good history there of cocaine trafficking, which I read up on that. And they're shipping just as much, if not more cocaine out of that joint, like this week than they ever have. Yeah. But, uh, but that's out in the jungle, man. And so like, yes, things, bad things happen. And like, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, like things can happen, but I mean, the kind of the world's like that everywhere you go, now, maybe it's super safe in Switzerland or something, but it's also cold and boring. So I don't know, man, like there's trade-offs in life, but I personally have not seen anything. There's maybe a little bit more in Medellin of like guys, you know, they have a thing there where you get two dudes on a scooter and they jump, one guy jumps off and sticks a gun in your face and goes, hey, give me your phone. And like, they just take to take cell phones. Yeah. But you know, I, I, it's crime goes out of the top 50 cities in the world of crime. Like the word, like there's five American cities in the top 50, like Memphis, St. Louis, New Orleans, Chicago. Um, but I lived in Chicago for two years and it was like, yeah, there was all kind of crime, but like not in my neighborhood. Right. It just depends on what you're doing. You know what I mean? So yeah. international travel is it's just not that big of a deal unless you're trying to go to like Syria or like I wouldn't recommend to Ukraine right now. <laughs> um, but other than that, you know, it's kind of like, uh, all right. I know in some countries when you travel, if you stay longer than 90 days, you have to get like um, some kind of visa. It depends if they let you. Do you have to do anything in Mexico? Like, do you have to get a visa to stay there a long term? Well, every country has their own rules. And, you know, it, it, there's kind of about three or four different ways they do it. And there's a lot of countries have visa waivers, which basically people call it a tourist visa. It's like they waive your visa mm. or they quote, give you a visa on arrival. Like in Mexico and America, we have that agreement. So in and, and America, you know, if you have an American passport, you can go to like 130 countries or something like this, but it, it varies. Like you go to Thailand, it's 30 days. You, you go to Vietnam, it's 30 days. You go to Mexico, it's it, it's typically up to 180 days per year, but per time. Like like my boarding card, when I got here, they give you this country gives you, you fill out a little piece of paper that has the like arrival and departure card. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how this country works. And then when you get there, you know, it just has like your flight and where you're staying and your passport information on it. You give it to them and they rip it in half and they take the one. They don't stamp your passport because it's Mexico because we're an American and we're allowed to go to Mexico. So they don't stamp your passport here. They just, you, you give them that departure card, but on that it writes, they write how many days you have. And, it's, and mine says 180. So I could literally stay here for six months straight. But, you know, Another country, like you go to Colombia, it's 90 days. So there, you know, you have to leave after 90 days, or you can get an extension in that particular country for another 90 days in a row. You pay like 20 bucks or something, you get another 90 days. You have to go over to the immigration office and do that. But um, what ex- some a lot of expats do is they do what's called kind of visa hopping, is you just you just kind of plan your travels around that. And Mexico is a popular destination because you get 180 days. So if you put six months there, six months in Panama or Ecuador or something like that, or Colombia, like you can just go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And then people start just having an apartment, you know, in one place, you either get a place where every year you got it from January to June, and you rent it out in advance or whatever, you know, as you get, you know, more versed or you, you like a particular country more than others. Like you really like, like there's a lot of guys that like Budapest in Hungary, Yeah. you know? And so they'll just start 
staying there every year for four or five months in a row. And they pick a particular time of the year. Maybe there's a festival they like. Maybe they're, the weather's cool. They like it in the fall or the spring or the summer or whatever. Because um, you can easily just go around the world and avoid all the bad weather. Like, sure. You don't have to be there when the weather sucks. And it sucks everywhere for some period of time, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, L.A. is it depends <laughs> on, you know. Where you coming from? LA? LA's pretty good though. <laughs> right. LA's pretty good, but yeah, we you left. know when everybody leaves LA though is December, dude. That place is a ghost town. Everybody goes somewhere else. Right yeah. for yeah the you the ain't get nothing done in December in that town. <laughs> yeah, we moved here from the DC, Maryland, Virginia area, and we um, experienced the the um, snowstorm when we were in DC. And yeah, we're, I'm done with cold weather. So that's the thing when you know, like you say, chasing <laughs> nice weather. Yes. <laughs> well, believe it or not, there's there's uh there's this big group of people called the boat people. And usually boat people is like kind of a negative thing of a bunch of guys jumping on like a piece of crap trying to get out of Cuba over to like the Keys or something. Mm. But there are upscale boat people. There's I don't know how many of them are. I'm just guessing there might be 30,000 of them, but it's not like 10. And these people all like mostly retirees, but they're old. Most of them are older but they all buy a boat. Like you sell your house, buy a boat, and then you just ride the boat around. Then they have a, they call it the lap, the lap or the loop or something like that. Mm. And you can go basically from basically like Boston down to like uh, Venezuela. And they just go back and forth like that, keep it whatever the good weather is. Wow. I think there's a name for, for those people too. Cause I, I did a lot of research on like alternative living, and so I know some of these communities have have like a a name. I know I forgot what it was for boat people, but there's a cool name that they. Yeah, have. I hope I'm probably like totally blowing their thing, and they all are like <laughs> gonna rip me in the comics. But <laughs> it's something like that, okay? Because my mom and dad owned a boat, and they lived in Florida, and then they ran across the these folks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they just live on the boat, like. And if you own the boat and if you if you were even like a half ass sales sailor, you know, you don't need to be pumping gas in that thing all the time. And then you just, you know, you just park it. And then throughout the Caribbean, there's all kind of uninhabited islands and mm. different little spots. They all know where to go, you know, where there's this one marina they all hang out in the month of May or something. So who knows right now, beginning of May, that maybe they're starting to creep up north again. I don't know. But then they can also go lapping around the whole Yucatan Peninsula, you know, like they go over to like New Orleans and just keep going down to the tip of Texas. They also have a thing they, where they go up through the um, St. Lawrence Seaway and then they can come all the way down and get they go through the Great Lakes and then they go down by Pittsburgh through uh, the Ohio River, through Louisville, all the way over to St. Louis and go down the Mississippi and come mm-hmm. out at New Orleans. Like it's possible to do that in a boat. So part of everything that I'm all about is really like shining the light on like, like how many more options you got in the world. Like, and COVID has also accelerated this in a bunch of positive and negative ways. You know, positive, maybe people made a bunch of money off of Bitcoin or their house used to be worth 400 grand. Now it's worth a million four. Um, you know, they flipped it or they, uh, like took out a loan, bought the house next door. Now they own three houses. Now they're renting them out. And now the wife's like, they made her job remote. And the guy's like, man, like we're sitting here at home. You work on a computer all day. Why ain't we sitting in Cancun? You know what I mean? Like, and then they go to Cancun for like a month and their boss doesn't even realize it. Like a bunch of that stuff went on and like their companies didn't even know. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely. And people started doing this. Well, people started doing this thing where they take two remote jobs. Yeah. You know, because people are having trouble finding employees right now. Yeah. So you kind of got a little leverage. So you take one job where you're just, and even you can even take dumb jobs, like take like a call center job or something, you know, where it's like 15 an hour and you just got to like six hours a day, you're answering emails for some healthcare company or something like that, right? There's a ton of those kind of jobs. And most Americans go, oh, well, that must be some people in India, right? Like, they're not taking that job. 
except for the fact that you're a native English speaker. You win. Like when you go apply for that job, you whip everybody in India. So you get the job and then you move to a country and like you find a little town in Mexico where you can live nice apartment where you can see the beach for 800 a month and you and the wife and or the husband get a couple jobs like that and you start selling some, I don't know, selling some tomatoes online or whatever it is you're interested <laughs> in. Because man, there's people making some money out of the dumbest shit in history. I'm telling you, yeah. you laugh about those tomatoes, but if we Google it right now, there's some tomato lady in Idaho selling a bunch of seeds or something. Oh yeah, yeah. or toothpaste yeah. on Amazon, <laughs> something like that. There is nothing too stupid. I, I I came across a guy selling videos on how to make your own chicken coop, mm. and this dude, like this dude, mails you a DVD. He's some old timer, and he makes like a hundred grand a year. Wow. Like he sells these DVDs for like 90 bucks or something like how to build a chicken coop. You're like, how do you make money at that? And nowadays so, people are interested in that. <laughs> so what's your, but um, my whole thing is about you could take that money and, and make a lot more of your life out of it. If you looked into it. Yeah. yeah. And we're actually kind of moving towards that right now. Um, transitioning everything online so that, um, and kind of even the podcast yeah making yeah. a list of places we kind of want to try living extended time and see where you know what's the best place for us so we're, and i was going to ask what's your dream place to live where would you you know what do you really want to live at well i don't know if i've found it yet um to me it's like i was i never well i was inspired by this guy right um that I read about in a magazine one time, there was some dude who was a conductor, an orchestra conductor, and he was well-known. And he was, he was conducting the symphony orchestra in two cities, in Tokyo, Japan, and Sydney, Australia. And I read the story about this guy, and he would gotten his life all nailed down where he had a, they, him and his wife, their kids were grown and this was his job and he loved his job. And all he did was he, they had a really nice place in Tokyo. They would go there for four months. He would do the symphony. Then he would go to Sydney for four months because they do these orchestra things like in a season. And then that's it for like a year usually, or they have like a conductor that does it once for like three months and then that's it. He would go do that in these two cities. And then the other four or five months, they, they built a house in Fiji. And so then, the, then they would just go from one house to the other. And they had a complete set of everything in each place. Um, that was one guy I was inspired by. The other one I was inspired by was there was this guy that wrote a book. And he was a, he's been in a digital nomad for like 15 years. And what he did was he got this little crew of people together, about 15 or 20 where the people he'd met over the years that were other digital nomads, they got to be friends. They started running into each other in the same places. And then what they did was they pulled their money together and they bought an apartment in like the top five places that they all liked. Like they bought a house in Valley. They bought a, they bought a house in downtown Vegas because Nevada is a good place to be like for tax purposes. So they bought a house in Vegas, which they go to once a year just to like all get together and have a party. And then they have an apartment in Budapest and then like one, they bought, they bought a, 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 like a big farm on an island in Nova Scotia, Canada. For whatever reason, they really like it where it's one of those deals where you go out there to the boat and it's like you and there's one other person that lives on this little island. That's it. Mm. They got a big farm, you know, with chickens and goats and cows and stuff. And so they have a deal with like 20 of them. And then <clears throat> what you do is you keep the kind of clothing that's perfect for that climate. Cause you know, everywhere you live, there's like, you need a certain kind of jacket and a certain kind of shirt and a certain kind of shoes and stuff. You know what I mean? And you don't tote all that crap around. And so they did this and now they, they said that the guy goes, when he travels back and forth, they, um, they run into at least one of the 20 people and then sometimes it's a party and there's five or six of them at the same place at the same time. And they're like, they're like, this is great. So I, so I was kind of inspired by those two sets of people. 
And I thought, well, you know, what's the thing for me? I don't know yet to answer your question. Like, what's the dream? I kind of think it's going to be city mouse, country mouse, Mm. like where you have like a cool, maybe kind of like, I could see it in Medellin where you got a penthouse where there's like a, you got the rooftop deal with a, you know, you got a hot tub in whatever overlooking the city because it's very beautiful and the weather's great. It's like LA weather. And then maybe you fly from there and you've got some cool beach destination or some house out in the country somewhere else. Yeah. I don't know, but that that's why I'm kind of checking stuff out. Cause there's a bunch of places I haven't been like, Taiwan, I hear, is pretty cool. Have you been to... And then you can just go travel these other places, you know, that you want to go, not live. Yeah. Um, Have you been to Curacao? I have never been there. Okay. I've been to... I've been to Cuba. I've been to Jamaica. I've been to both Virgin Islands. I've been to St. Martin. And I think that's it in the Caribbean. So I haven't been to Curacao. Okay. Some yeah. of those countries too, man. You move there, boy, you can be get a citizenship pretty quick mm. if you actually live there. Some of them you just get you gotta give them like a hundred grand and they'll give you a passport like two months later. I was gonna ask with Mexico, can you like say you wanted to live there, live, live there, can you get something to like where you don't have to leave like every six months or so, or is that something you have to do regardless? I'm working on a blog post on this right now. Um, there's, you can get a, um, you can get a, a temporary residency card in Mexico. Mm-hmm. You go to the Mexican consulate downtown in LA and you make an appointment and you go in there and show them that there's like, there's, you can get, there's like 16 different versions of them, but the easy ones if you wanted to retire there, you could just show them that you make more than like 1500 a month and they'll give you a permanent uh, resident card, like a, like a permanent green card, basically. Mm-hmm. Or you could go in there. What a lot of people do is they go in and you show them that you have like over, I think it's 42,000 in the bank or you're making a certain amount of money. Um, you know, <clears throat> you can show them you have to prove that kind of stuff. And they'll just issue you a special visa. It's good. It's good for 30 days. You've got to use it within six months and you go and you enter Mexico as a resident instead of a tourist. Mm -hmm. And then you make an appointment and you go to the, go to the, um, uh, the immigration office in, in Mexico, which you do it in Mexico city, most likely. And then they, you show them your paperwork and then they issue you your little card and it's good for one year. You renew it every year for four years. And at the end of five years, you take a little test to show Spanish proficiency or uh, Spanish proficiency and a little bit of um, Spanish history. And then you get a permanent resident card. So that's one path. It's pretty, I mean, it's pretty easy and, um, or you could do the, there's a bunch of other ways you could buy a piece of property over like 140,000 or something. And you, then they give you that same temporary card for four years. There's a bunch of different ways to do it, but, and then there's even people that just go, you know what? Uh, like, say you, say you live in like Minnesota or something. There's people that'll go, well, we just leave every year on October 1st and we come back in March and they just take the 180 days. You know, and they buy a house. There's also people that buy a house. They they rent it out when they're not in it. I know people that have houses in like Playa del Carmen and they'll just fly down there because it's real easy from the States. There's a lot of direct flights to different places. Like from the Midwest, you can fly to Cancun. There, Every city has a direct flight. I mean, that are like 250 bucks. So you could, have, instead of having a lake house, you could have a Mexican house. Yeah. And so then you just choose how much time you want to spend there. So, I mean, there's a bunch of ways. So Mexico is an easy country. Mexico is easy because it's right next door to us. And, you know, there's lots of different ways to do it. So you guys could easily post up in some kind of Mexican town because, I mean, you're looking at right now with this podcast. I can't tell where you guys are. Yeah. You could be in Beverly Hills or you could be in like, who knows? 
Right. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Like, yeah. And that's one. And so that's one of the goals with the podcast is the, because we're basically mobile. We're even, even able our setup is kind of mobile. We had it more for, you know, us as content creators and also kind of as a side business as if somebody needed us to come and set up at their place. So that's actually, we're, we're basically mobile. That's the, the long term with it. We like water as well. So yeah. we snorkel often. <laughs> so the beach is one of the things that's what I'm attracted to. So I know that's one of, that's what we have, you know, kind of looking around places that have some, some warm water and, you know, yeah, well, I would nice go, country. what's the top 10 diving or snorkeling places? Like I went to Belize, you know, and they have some pretty good diving there, but there's a whole bunch of other places. There's islands off the coast of Nicaragua. Um, you know, there, you just have to figure it out because the good thing about Latin America is you're in the same time zones as the U.S. So like whatever work you're doing, it's not some kind of weird thing where you got to get up and interview some guy at three in the morning, you know, because you live in Timbuktu on the other side of the earth. Um, and what I recommend is you go get an Airbnb there for like a month, just like yeah. go there at least two weeks. Yeah. And the Airbnbs are cool because you get a deal at a month and then you got like a real place with a kitchen and a living room and everything, you know what I mean? And I always got to have a patio and some sunshine and about the way I like it, but I cook all the time. So then I'm getting food deliveries here in Latin America, they got a thing called Rappi and they got all these food. Like they bring everything to your door, dude. You don't go grocery shopping unless you want to, um, which I do sometimes because then you can look around and find some cooler stuff, but um, like live in there for a month, then you know what it's like to live there, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. hey, where's the, you know, where do I get my hair cut? You know, what are the restaurants like, you know, what, you know, all the little stuff that, you know, in your own hood, like you find that stuff there and then you know what your life's going to be like. And then, then that removes all that unknown of like, Oh man, what if, what if it doesn't go right? You know, or what if I, you know, I got this one guy that's a good barber or something, you know what I mean? Like you gotta get over those humps. And right. by the way, my thing here is saying time left eight thirteen. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, it's going to push us. So out I think again. we're going to hit that deal we're again. Gonna, so well, we're going to go ahead and, you know, close out, you know, everything as far as this time and definitely invite you back. Um, even yeah. If, if, you're, go if you're ever in LA area, <laughs> you can come down for a, a live studio recording as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. I'm not in, around there. Cause I, when I was living in Vegas, I would go there. I was in LA actually three times last year. Mm. Um, but I wasn't uh, doing it, doing anything. I wasn't promoting anything. I don't think so we, we weren't quite podcast. set up. Yeah, <laughs> we weren't quite set up last year around this. T- well, we had a little thing happen with the studio. I'm not sure if you heard on other podcasts, but we were rebuilding, so we crunked back up maybe about January of this year and have been pretty consistent. All right, but yeah, so we, I, you weren't ready for me anyway because I was yeah. there in November. We needed perfect timing, so the universe was getting things together. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the universe does does its work. You know, that's why we don't need to fight it. We need to just let it happen and ride the waves. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people standing out there. There's a lot of people out there yelling at the waves, trying to get the water to go the other way. (laughs) I just find that to be very difficult. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, where's the water already going, man? Let's try to go some of that way. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, advice as well but yeah before we get ready to close it out you can um let them know your links or where they can find where our audience can find you um if you have anything that you're promoting a project you're working on and anything like that yeah my thing is called dream world passport and they can just go there either on twitter it's d world password or you know just go to the website and what i'm trying to do is i'm building up an email list and the Twitter thing, and then we're going to get a YouTube channel started, but it's just going to be digging into all of these things. So that showing people like hundreds of different ways to do things, whether you're already living this lifestyle, like, like right now there's a bit, you know, there's a thing about if you live in other countries, but you want to keep your U S phone number, like for business purposes or for family, you know, how do you pull that off? 
And so there's like a thing that we talk about, like, and then, then other things are like, what if you want to live in Thailand? How do you do that? Or, you know, how do you pick like a country? Yeah. You know? And so and we're, interested we're just going to keep things. going down all these rabbit holes until there's just so much stuff there that, you know, people can, cause people are going to always just pick, you know, make their own decisions. And I want to provide enough information so everybody can design their own dream life their own way. And I'll just be out there doing my version of it and reporting back from the front. Yeah. So that's what's going on. Definitely got to check it out. Cause some of those things we actually need to know about. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we appreciate your time and consideration and coming and talking with us. It's been a very informative conversation. Yeah. Um, thank you to our listeners and our viewers as well for, um, supporting for uh the podcast you can find us at americangypsy.com and we have links to all the episode audios videos guest information links to our online store luanli.com where we have consistent self-improvement merch and we have we also have music you can find some of my original cello music and some vocal stuff with some instrumentals at classic k-l-a-c-c-i-k carpenter c-a-r-p-e-n-t-a that's on spotify itunes youtube and title and all major platforms thank you again to our supporters our um, fans um, everybody friends and family thank you again consistent self-improvement Thank and you again, Chris. Chris. And All right. It's been great, guys. I really enjoyed it. Yes. Consistent self-improvement to everyone and peace. peace.